Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Just Films and That. This is the podcast where we talk about films we think might be underrated, underappreciated, or sometimes we just wanted to talk about them. I'm Josh Hallam and I'm joined as ever by my wonderful co-host Alice Oliver. Alice, how you doing? Oh, I'm wonderful, Josh, just as you suggested. How about yeah. yourself? Yes, I'm very, very good, thank you. It's, uh, it's getting cold out there, isn't it? Christmas is coming up. It's a bit nippy. It's a bit it's frosty. It I is. will say that. Got my layers on, got three pairs of socks on. No, not quite that bad just yet. But no, we're no it's not that bad yet. Not that bad yet. Anyway, we're both very excited, aren't we, Alice? Indeed. Because Always. we're joined <laughs> by another brilliant guest. Uh, he's a writer, actor, comedian, author. He's loads of things. Alistair Beckett-King, how are you doing, sir? Hello, I'm 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 the most wonderful of all three oh. of us. I'm very. I'm also. I'm not even that cold. I'm wearing. I'm wearing a Dungeons and Dragons hoodie. Oh, that's that, um, that Dungeons and Dragons gave me, which is massive. So I could I could fit three three Dungeons and Dragons nerds within this one hoodie. <laughs> oh, so lovely. I'm, I'm getting all that three people's worth of warmth. For, for my one triple sense. warmth, my one self, my one self. <laughs> that sounds quite Dungeons and Dragons for like my one self. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. I'm so warm. I've forgotten how to talk. There. I apologize. So cozy. You're just drunk with coziness. Absolutely. Um, you should. You should. I'm sell off it. my head on warm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so content right now. I should bottle it. Um, <laughs> um, so anyway, we always start with a random question. So what have we got today? Let's have a look, Alice. Mm-hmm. Here's one for you. What is what is the best compliment you've ever received? So there's there there is two that I think of, and these have come up in a, in another conversation before. But basically, me, when me I was asking a bit younger, you to come on this podcast. Oh yeah, definitely. Read my mind. Read my mind. It's like we got to get Alice on. She's a pro. Um, so when I was a teenager, someone told me that I looked like Avril Lavigne, and I was like, awesome. you have said that before. Yeah, you've slipped I, that in before, haven't you? I do think it was really just because of the amount of eyeliner I used to wear, like full on, like panda <laughs> eyes down here. And then the other one was that more recently, so even as I have grown older, someone said that they thought I looked like Stacey Dooley. And I oh, was yes. like, I'll take that, I'll have that. <laughs> so I was pretty happy with those. So Stacey um, Dooley, that rule Have you had anything outside of you look like someone? Everyone said you Oh, good question. I don't know. That, you can, uh, I that mean, we can broadcast. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, I think, you know what, a few a few people have told me that I'm their favourite on Liverpool TV, which is quite nice. <laughs> I mean, no mm. no disrespect, obviously, to my colleagues in that, but sometimes I go, oh, yeah, we love watching you. We love seeing you on Liverpool TV and all that. So that's quite cute. So I always like that. Uh, Got to meet the fans, haven't you? Yeah, um, you <laughs> what about what about you, Josh? Like, what's the best compliment you've um, received? 
Your head is not that big. Yeah, you, your head is not absurdly big. You've got um, a normal size no. head. <laughs> You've got it's proportionate. That's what someone said to me once. Um, no, I I got so in terms of what looked like I had um, I was out once. It was like ages ago because it must have been when I finished college, so a long time ago now. And I really, really drunk girl said I looked like Robert Pattinson, and I was like, Oh, I'll take that. And his hat is not even. With my hair scruffy like he had it back then, no way. I don't look anything like him. He's got a completely different face shape. His head, his head is a normal size. Um, he's Batman. I'm not yet. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, and I also once, because when I was a teenager and you're first chatting up, chatting up ladies and chatting up, you know, whoever you want to chat up, someone said to me, and I think they thought it was a compliment. I was always the friend zone guy. Oh dear, yeah. I was always the friend zone guy. And someone said to me once, you're not you're not boyfriend material, you're husband material. And I was like, I'm 14, that is absolutely no use to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is absolutely no use to me. So that was one. So that was a bit of a that was a bit of a, a what's the word? Damning with just faint a, praise. Yeah, well, sort of just a bit ahead of its time because yeah. that these days I'm sure would be very nice. It's like, oh yeah, your husband material. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. When you're in your Loyal, 30s, supportive. that's like, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah sounds I good. don't yeah. feel threatened by you. Um, yeah, always good. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that, those were mine. What about you, Alistair? Have you, what's the best compliment you've ever received? I don't, I don't, I'm not saying I don't receive compliments. I do receive compliments because um, I've got long hair, but I, I don't, and I don't know whether they are backhanded compliments like you say someone mm. on the train told me that i looked like a a more mature tim minchin now <laughs> tim minchin mature. to be fair is quite good looking but he's also several years older than me so that yeah. is it, it mature really in what way like personality wise I, I hope they meant personality wise <laughs> yeah. that i looked like a sort of sober and reflective tim minchin <laughs> and not that i looked older than a man who is i think almost 10 years older than me yeah, because yeah, you'd say old Tim Minchin. You wouldn't yeah. say mature. But I, think, I feel like maybe you'd bite it back if you were giving it as a compliment to a stranger on a what's, tube and you might what's say... What's a strange thing to say on a, on the tube? Yeah. You look like a more mature Tim more Minchin, mature. he said. I would that... trust you to borrow my books and give them back in a good state. <laughs> yeah, like a responsible Tim Minchin paying off credit cards. Yeah, if, I needed, if I needed Tim Minchin to feed the cats whilst I was away for the weekend, yeah. you'd be I'm, the guy. I am that Tim Minchin, yeah. <laughs> And so I, I don't say, know if that's a, that's not a good compliment. That's a pretty yeah, bad. You, one, you do have spectacular hair, Alistair. You've got it. You've, thank you. I mean, oh, it thank is, you. It's, it is. Yeah, it's some of the finest hair. There, there it was. There was the nicest yeah. compliment I ever received. There you go. You just See, that's yeah. where you came on. We'll it's wrap happened. it up now. Um, no. <laughs> So, this week's film is Little Shop of Horrors from 1986, so spoiler warnings if you've not seen that. Um, Alistair, you picked this one, so tell the listeners at home who don't know what it's about, what it's about, and why did you pick it for the podcast, apart from the fact that we asked you to pick a film? Yeah, yeah, I had to. It was, it's the format of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, uh, I didn't uh, have a choice. Thank you. <laughs> um, I just wanted to come on and get compliments, but it was yeah. like, no, no, this no. is the price you pay. We're going to have to frame it in a, in a film. <laughs> yeah, it's got it's to be like a premise or something <laughs> to the podcast. Um so, it, Little Chop Horrors is perhaps a difficult one to explain because it's, it's got a very unusual origin as a film because in 1960, there was a, a Roger Corman B-movie, Little Chop of Horrors, made, I think, in a, a very, very short space of time, basically on a bet, I think. Mm. Um, they shot it in almost no time at all for $30,000. And it's famously a, a, a terrible film. I think people who haven't watched it sort of probably imagine that it's a... Uh, sort of a schlocky B-movie and that it, it, in fact it's extremely tongue-in-cheek it's got like properly funny jokes in the script 
it's 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 a light comedy. Mm, um, mm. So it's it's self parodic, if not parodic, of mm. the sci-fi films of the time. And the story is about uh, a hapless uh, flower shop employee who uh, finds himself in possession of a, a man-eating alien plant. Um, and in the course of feeding various people to the man-eating plant, um, his life gets better. But sp- spoilers, uh, it ends badly. And then, uh, and then um, along come um, Howard uh, Ashman and Alan Menken, who turned it into mm. a musical. And this is the point in which it becomes a work of genius, in my my view. Mm. Uh, mm. So there was a, a stage musical version of it, um, which then became the 1982. Is that right? The 1982. 1986? The as in the, the Broadway six? show. When was no the, the film? When was this the is film? 1986? 1986. But I think the yes. thought that the Broadway shows, you know, probably around then, isn't it? Because that would the time frame would work. Yeah, sorry. I think you're. In fact, I think you're right. 1982. Mm. I think was the uh, the original Broadway off Broadway mm. production. Then in 1986, uh, Frank Oz, off of being Yoda fame <laughs> um, and being at the start of the Blues Brothers fame, mm. uh, directs it as a musical with um, Ellen Green, who was the who played uh, Audrey in the stage musical. She originated yes, the character, she did, she did. Um, and Rick Moranis, and mm. an all-star cast of uh, 80s led comedy legend performers like Christopher Guest and mm. John Candy. Absolutely, absolutely, yes, absolutely. Yeah, because when we obviously we, there are two versions of this, or well, there might even be more than one version of this. Cause well, even, it, 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 yeah, it gets complicated, yeah. but I'll, I'll save that. Because the most famous thing about the 1961 is, is probably that it's got Jack Nicholson in it. Is yes, that, that, that's the only thing I really know about it. Is that is that he is in it as the masochist who goes to the dentist. Yes, so the 1986 film is very memorable because the dentist is played by Steve Martin and mm. the masochistic patient is played by Bill Murray, who gives yeah. an absolutely hilarious over-the-top <laughs> performance. But if you go back and watch the B-movie, it's Jack Nicholson being Jack Nicholson in, <laughs> I think, one of his first screen roles. So. And really yeah. properly going for it and being a very sinister, but sort of throwaway character that doesn't really have anything to do with the plot. <laughs> um, but it's it's one of the most memorable scenes in both versions of it. Absolutely, it is. It definitely is. Um, right, so let's get stuck into it then. Alice, had you seen this one before? So I had seen it before. I think I'd only seen it once and many years ago. But this was what our it was our high school production when I was in year seven. So Ooh. this was my first proper introduction to musical theatre, wow. which, I, I, mm. as you know, Josh, I love me a bit of musical theatre now. So this is quite a, quite a sort of important moment in my kind of cultural life, shall we say. Um, and so I've had a real, real fondness for it since then. And, you know, love the songs, love love all that. I think who, who it's a really play? good musical. Year um, seven, you I, can't be a main part, right? I think, Year like, seven. Background Girl 3 or yeah. something. It's all, like, yeah, something <laughs> like that. it's all about the Year 11s, always... isn't it? It's all about the Year 11s. I thought Background exactly. Girl 3 was one of the best roles. So. It's up there, isn't it? <laughs> I nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> um, what about you, Josh? Had you seen this one before? Yes, I had seen it before. It was uh, did enjoy it, like the soundtrack. I've got it. It's definitely one of those. It's definitely got a couple of songs that are on my sort of my music playlists, you know. So I have a really? playlist. Do you, I don't know if you... I, I, I probably shouldn't admit this. So I have a playlist of like when you're at a party and you get drunk and the Disney songs and the musical songs start to come out. Oh, nice, right. yeah. Yeah, and like suddenly Seymour's on it. Um, mm. Supper Time might be on it as well. And De- and obviously Little Job of Horrors, the opening song, might be on it as well. So along with like other things from Disney and other musicals as well and, and that sort of thing. So yeah, big, yeah, quite a fan of this. 
and uh, and and enjoy watching it again. To be honest with you, I mean, it was I was quite a pleasant surprise that that, uh, that you picked this because it's always nice when someone picks something that you already like. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm losing oh, yeah. points on the obscure and underrated front since you're all like, yeah, yeah, it's a very famous film. We've all watched it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but it's, you know, it's it's more, when guests come on, it's more about just a film that they like. Do you know what I mean? It's 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 much easier to do to do it. I way. still think it is underrated. I, oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a popular and successful it, yeah. film, but I consider it to be underrated because I don't think, I don't think it gets the credit it deserves because of how very good it is. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, and it, and it's and it's sort of weird story um, gets gets weirder still. So Alice, you'll be aware if you've seen the stage musical. Or you, sorry, if you were background girl three in, in the stage musical, I was musical. background girl three. <laughs> you might know that the movie ends differently to the stage version of the musical. So I think I, yeah, I think so. Yeah, sorry. No, I think because didn't doesn't someone get fully eaten? In the stage musical, in the stage, the stage musical has uh, the bad ending. If this was a video game, so yeah. it, the, so the you know the main characters are you know, Seymour and Audrey, and then the evil plant Audrey too. In the stage musical, uh, the the plant gets a hold of Audrey. Um, Seymour has to give Audrey's dead body to the plant, and then eventually the plant eats Seymour as well, oh, and they all yeah. end up eaten. And but the, the whole of the story is, is sort of a cruel joke on mm. Audrey's character, you know. So she she dreams of uh, to, of uh, of moving somewhere that's green. Mm. You know, there's the wonderful song uh, "Somewhere That's Green," where she describes the. Uh, uh, for her, it's a really heartfelt song, uh, brilliantly performed uh, by Ellen Green about the life she wants to lead. But we kind of are laughing at it because it's uh, it's a highly commercialized life that she dreams of yes, so yeah. the joke's kind of on her and you know she talks about um in suddenly seymour uh, the fact that um she's just followed one man after another throughout her life you know they snap their fingers and she says sure um and then the the film plays a series of sort of cruel jokes on her so when when seymour decides to sweep her off her feet and says let's get married she immediately says sure exactly the same way again so the same pattern has been repeated and then she ends up being eaten by the plant, which is the big gag of the movie, which is they're now somewhere that's green, but it's not mm. what she expected. And the, it's a, it's it's interesting to me that that doesn't work as the film's ending. There is the you can see the director's cut, which has the original ending. Which I was going to say they did, they did film it, didn't they? They did they did film the original, didn't they? I'm skeptical of it because if yeah, if you watch the direct the the ending, um, it's quite funny and they the you know the the plant gets eaten. It's a little bit slowly paced, um, and and then there's a very funny voiceover. Uh, sorry, a, a very funny wrap up song. Um, Don't feed the plants, mm. sung by the um, the the three uh, the Greek chorus characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's about ten solid minutes of plants smashing through walls and laughing, and it's incredibly boring. And <laughs> I don't know if this is the original cut that was screened to test audiences that they hated or whether someone has painstakingly pieced what they think the ending would have been from the material. Either ah. way, it, the, the main reason the ending doesn't work is that it's really boring. Um, mm. And the other reason that the ending doesn't work is that Ellen Green's performance is too good earlier in the film. And so audiences, I think, don't forgi- won't forgive the film for killing her off at the end. Because mm. the whole plot is a cruel joke at her expense, that mm. character, and we we just won't accept it because somehow I think if it's a stage show, we understand that things are a little bit expressionistic, and we understand that there's a layer of irony and remove. But once you put her singing in close up, I don't think it works like that anymore. I don't think we can 
I don't think people will accept it because, well, I, I wanted to see what what the um, the general consensus was about what the film was about, and I found um, the Utah Shakespeare Festival have a blog about it. Wow, um, in which they say that's a deep cut. Yep, yeah, I, I'm quoting here. <laughs> um, at its heart, Little Shop of Horrors is a Greek moral tragedy in which a young and fallible hero seeks to improve his life by exploiting a higher power. In typical Greek fashion, the angry gods don't just punish the hero, but extend their wrath to everyone the hero touches, including those he loves. Now, I think that is nonsense. Mm. <laughs> I think that shows the exact amount of insight you would expect from the Utah Shakespeare Society. <laughs> They're at it again. Little Shop of Horrors, and I'm, I'm putting my cards on the table here, is a film, is a satire of um, American consumerism and capitalism. That is, ex- that is entirely what the film's about. It's not a Greek tragedy about Seymour, uh, Seymour's uh, reach exceeding his grasp. It's a, it's a, 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 a crude satire of the fact that the game is rigged against characters like Seymour and Audrey and everybody who lives on Skid Row. And my evidence for that is in the original director's cut, immediately after Seymour is eaten, the plant spits out his glasses and they land in the foreground. And the ca- and I, I, I hadn't seen that until, this until yesterday when I was preparing. Mm. Um, it then cuts to the American flag, a huge glittery version of the American flag, and the Greek chorus appear... I think dressed as Supreme Justices. I'm not sure why. (laughs) In sort of judges' robes, Mm. and they sing, subsequent to the events you've just witnessed, um, you know, similar occurrences happened across America. Um, And uh, we're then treated to scenes of American consumers buying millions of Audrey twos and fighting over them in supermarkets Mm. to try and get their Audrey twos, and then being conned into feeding them blood. So it's a movie about... Sorry, sorry, fellas. It's a it's a movie about capitalism and and why the game is rigged, and that's what I think makes it a, a, an an important, profound work as well as a hilarious and fun musical that everybody loves. That is that version that you've just described. That is definitely about capitalism, and it, mo- it, it is, must be. It's, it? a, it's essentially saying, you no matter how much you buy, you, you're always your sort of desires are always going to eat themselves. Almost yes, sort of thing. Absolutely, is, and is, people are it? just being fed into this. Um, you know, it, I think the reason it's not a Greek tragedy is that it's not really fair if the gods, you know, if the, if the Audrey Two character is the god who punishes you, it's not really fair if it was also the one who persuaded you to commit the sin that mm. the tragedy. You know, that doesn't really that doesn't really work. You know, Audrey yeah. is hardly a Lady Macbeth character encouraging Seymour to sin, and also the things Seymour does are not that bad. He mostly he doesn't intervene to prevent yes. the deaths happening. It's not like he actually goes out and kills people. No, for yeah, the most yeah, part. I think, yeah, I think that's 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 a really good point. And also, the version, the theatrical version, the version we've watched is not really could even really say it's a tragedy because at the end they, well, presumably you don't see it, but they go off into the sunset and and that's yes, and that's it. There's still a, a still a bit of winking irony as as they, as they go off to the, the little, somewhere that's green point. and we see that there's one more Audrey too. So yeah. mm. it's never quite over, but um, that's as close as we can get to the cynicism of the original ending. Like and 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 like you say, if it was a tragedy, Seymour's actions would be worse. He'd probably be a victim of his own ambition in some way, which he kind of is, but I don't, not to the degree of. Is he ambitious? Like, I don't. All he wants well, is yeah, Audrey. That's, really, that's true. Actually, yeah, because everything else is just because he thinks he needs those things in order to get Audrey. I don't think he's. I don't think he is really, and I don't think it's a satire of ambition, but it's it's a satire of the vanity of the belief that. Harley Davison's and um, uh, strange and interesting plants, or whatever it is, mm. are the thing you need in order to be happy or to make people like you. 
Yeah, I think that's that's a really good point. Um, so, Alice, mm-hmm. it's come to you. What 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 did you think this time round? What did you think of it generally? Watching it with a more critical eye. So, uh, in general, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I was going to. Not that I thought I wasn't going to like it, but I think the experience was just heightened this time around. And I was like, oh, like I had a new appreciation for it, I think. So, like I said, I really liked the songs. I loved the way it looked. I thought it was really funny in places. I thought some of the script and the performances were good. I feel like a lot of the side characters and the extras were contributing a lot as well. And it is a fabulous mix of gruesome, wacky, comedy, horror, romance, and then even a bit of sci-fi in there. And then obviously the puppet masters are just incredible. Incredible. The the sort of the last kind of chunk of the film where Audrey 2 is kind of at her biggest and like the mouth movements and the vine movements and all that. I was just like, I was just in awe. I was like, that's some serious effort that they've gone to there. And it just looked fabulous. Um, so with the songs, so obviously if, you're, if your musical is going to bang, then the songs need to pop, right? And in the words of Bo Burnham, you need to know the words after just one less, after just one listen. So, you know, you'll be a dentist down on Skid Row. The songs are really great compositions. It's got a great mix of this like 60s rock and roll and Motown vibes. They're really fun, really catchy for the most part. Obviously, brilliant singers in Cristal, Ronette and Chiffon, who are the Greek chorus, like you said. Um, so I didn't, and I, I had to look up what a Greek chorus was and then obviously it's about that sort of a a group like a group voice collectively commenting on the dramatic action that's happening so I thought that was interesting reminded me a little bit of Hercules as well Um, (laughs) and I love that when they're introduced, they look fabulous and like in their dresses, they're like, like they're the so Supremes, glamorous. aren't they? They're made up to look yes. like the Supremes. And so. they really pop, but their surroundings are so dreary and grey mm. and just like damp and dank. And I just kind of really love that juxtaposition. Um, so yeah, it got off to a great start for me. I was just like, yeah, this is going to bang. Um, what about you, Josh? What did you like about it? It's, it's an interesting point you've made that because if you think that back to what Alistair said, that idea of they look fabulous but their surroundings are not, that very much supports his point, doesn't it? Of that idea of you can paper over the cracks with stuff, but you will never drag yourself out of there with money and by buying stuff. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's a really interesting point. And also that I mean, it, whether it's Harlem or Detroit, uh, you know, Motown or, or jazz, it, it, it is you know, uh, really run down um, ghettoized parts of America that have produced mm. the sort of sounds that that are fed into this style of music. Absolutely. It definitely comes from adversity in one form or another, doesn't it? Uh, what did I think? So, I mean, like I say, overall, I enjoyed it. So in terms of, obviously, I said before, I'd seen it before. I don't think I'd seen it that many times. I've heard the soundtrack a lot. But that's the thing with musicals, isn't it? Is you can listen to the soundtrack, but not necessarily have watched the film or the adaptation mm-hmm. loads and loads of times. So I've probably only seen this once or once or twice. I think, and I'm looking at it with a critical eye. I had, like you said, I was far more appreciation for it as a film and a piece of work than I did before. Obviously, the soundtrack's good, and I'm sure we'll come on to that. But the overall execution of it for me, the look and the feel of it. It, so so the first thing I noticed, which I hadn't noticed before, is it felt to me like I was watching it live. Yeah, absolutely. The way it's directed. It's so theatrical, it's like, it's isn't it? Like, yeah. So essentially, it's like what they've done is taken a theatre show, a musical, and made the camera your eyes, and they draw mm-hmm. your attention to where the stage lights might have drawn your attention to in the way that the chorus interact and the extras interact and, and stuff like that. So, so that was something... That must have been painstaking to do. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I've never really, I've never really directed anything like this in in depth or anything like that. But I imagine the quick cuts and the cutting to people and the essentially directing a film, but like a theatre show, 
is so mm-hmm. much harder because obviously everything about theatre is designed to be done on the night and in one take, whereas the way films are now constructed are you film this bit, move on, film this bit, move on. And, well, mo- for the most part, anyway, I know certain things have, have changed that. So the direction of it I really enjoyed. I thought it was really kinetic. Everything was always moving. And if it wasn't moving, it felt like there was a real reason for that. It felt like there was a reason it was drawing your attention to the stillness and stuff like that. So so I enjoyed that. Like you say, I love the, the Greek chorus, the use of the Greek chorus as well. I thought that was, that was really good great um i mean the cast as well i mean obviously you've already touched on ellen green who who originated the role of of audrey on broadway did rick moranis originate the role of seymour no so i think he uh, i don't i don't know who did but unfortunately for that actor i guess they needed they needed someone who was already a star name. yeah uh, on in movies which ellen green wasn't even though she absolutely as anybody who's seen the film would agree deserves to be oh yeah a she's a massive star and, and she is in, in yeah. musicals um and yeah, and the range of her voice because the speaking voice is so small and so tiny, mm-hmm. and 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 it's a it's so long into the film before she really belts out a song. Yes, she sings such small songs, so it's such a uh, a dazzling moment when her voice gets big and suddenly Seymour. Yes, yeah, and like you say, when she finally gets her big moments and suddenly Seymour, because even somewhere that's green, it's very, it's a very. Um, she still keeps that tone in her voice, doesn't she? Yes. She still keeps that bit in that it's, bit. Yes, it's very, very uh, thin and small. Yes. Even though I think it's a wonderful song. No, it's a fantastic. Because for years, I didn't realise, I actually thought that, um, that Audrey was played by Rhea Perlman, who is Danny, oh. who's Danny DeVito's wife, because yes. she speaks exactly like her in Matilda. Mm. But it's obviously, it's just a different, it's just similar performances that happen to be, that happen to be similar. But anyway, yeah, I mean, the cast, obviously, Ellen Green is fantastic in this. Levi Stubbs, who's in the Four Tops, who plays Audrey Two, is oh, yeah. fantastic voice. And then, I mean, it feels sort of like Rick Moranis was. It feels like Seymour was written for him. I and mean, you say he didn't originate the part, but he is. I've never seen the stage musical, so is Seymour pretty much like that in the musical, Alice? And or or, or is he? Different? I mean, our obviously. I don't know how accurate our high school production was, but our guy who played Seymour, definitely. I think he even looked a little bit like Rick Moranis as well. So for my experience of it, yeah, like he played it pretty much exactly like he a bit did. Like, a bit like any time anyone does an adaptation of Grease and it's just it's just exactly <laughs> yeah. the same. No one does, yeah, exactly. no one does anything any, any differently. But no, I thought the cast were amazing. It's a lot funnier than I remember as well. So like even mm-hmm. things like, Obviously, I'd seen it before, so I knew that Steve Martin's character was a dentist. But the reveal that he is a dentist... Yes, you forget is, that you don't know you until halfway through. forget how funny that bit is. And, and obviously, he's in the... He's done up like a bit a bit like a T-bird. He's done up a bit like a, a greaser, and he's on his bike, mm-hmm. and then he gets off. And he takes his jacket off, and he's got the dentist whites on. And obviously, that's a really funny reveal, because he's talking about how he likes to inflict pain on people and, and all that. Yes. And it's like, oh, and I'm a dentist. So I can see how... If you didn't already know, that joke would just work so, so well. And then there's obviously oh, other stuff in there as well. Uh, uh, Miriam Margulies yes. as his uh, long-suffering, the... only in two shots where she gets punched pretty much dental yeah, um, assistant. Like one, she's one hel- line or something. I know, but the slapstick, her, her pratfalls are so... Mm. F- I mean, obviously, uh, it's you know not to approve of the dentist's behaviour, but um, <laughs> his repeated punching of Miriam Margulies is hilarious. No, it's it's fantastic. It's fantastic. She's fantastic in it. And then the little cameos as well from like Christopher Guest and John Candy and Bill John Murray Candy's and funny. all that. I mean, yeah. it's very like it's like you say it's like a it's a who's who of like eighties SNL. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. 
At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yeah. Actors this and it's and it's it's brilliant. It's actually it's 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 really, really funny. The dentist bit is probably the funniest bit I'd say I'd say for me. What about Yes, you? I agree. What say? What about you, Al? That bit? Oh, Sorry, I just jumped in to agree with you. I beg your pardon. The problem is, Alice, our names start the same, so I jumped in to... But I was going to agree, so it doesn't matter, so go ahead. What about you, Alice? What's your sort of... What's what's the funniest bit for you? What's your favourite bit? Well, the bit that made me laugh out loud the most was near the beginning. So they've got the plant, they're in the shop. There's Seymour, Audrey and Mr... Mr. Mushnick. Mushnick, isn't it? Yeah. Mushnick, yeah. And then they're sort of trying to figure out like where to put the plant and if it's going to help them get more customers or whatever and they put it in the window and they're so i think one of them says something like oh is this really going to help us make more money and then someone just launches into the shop and goes why what an interesting plant you have there in the window or something like that he i thought he was really really funny just like this really sort of exaggerated over the top like classic like classic cinema-esque kind of guy that's christopher guest is the guy yes. i couldn't help yes. noticing that strange and interesting plant in the window yeah, I don't um, know why who, that made me laugh so much, but I think it was his delivery and his timing scene. as well. I think a lot of this, a lot of this, and I suppose this comes back to what you said, Josh, about it sort of feeling like you're watching the theatre, but a lot of the comedy for me came from the timing. Like it is the timing of when the actors deliver their lines that makes it so much funny, and it's not necessarily what's written and what is being said, but it's how it's being said and when it's being said. It's very yes. vaudevillian, isn't it? That that idea is so so. You know, it's very vaudevillian comedy. Or like, if you look at even something like Laurel and Hardy or something, you have a character say something, and then it's you know, it's like that thing of there's absolutely no way that piano is going to fall yeah. down. 
bang like that's yeah, you know it's like that it's that that's sort of how it works. it's almost it's almost like equivalent in this country of like pantomime or something like that of mm-hmm. of it's and some people i think would say it's obvious but like you say it's all about the delivery it's funny because of the way he walks in mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I, I, and you're talking about how how sort of tightly choreographed it has to be and uh, you know because of the complexity of what they're doing in a lot of these shots there's no way these things are being uh, all done at once you know it's hard to think of a film from the time that would have been as complicated as this to film mm. but you're right that that um I didn't see it as seeing as like watching a stage show, but for me, the, Frank Oz is sort of borrowing the the visuals of the the big lavish MGM musicals that mm. I imagine he grew up watching. Except mm. the the content of what's on display is so far removed from um, you know the kind of the kind of upbeat singing in the rain, the tip top um, all that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think I believe there's a deleted scene that that was a deliberate spoof of the dream sequence from Singing in the Rain. So oh, right. I, I, that's my evidence that the, you know when you know the the incredibly complex developing shots around the obviously all built on a soundstage yes. Skid Row, which is such a beautiful and lavishly detailed set, and you know the camera's flying around the place. It, you know it, it it seems to be able to go anywhere um, in these incredibly c- complicated shots. And speaking of timing, the the one of the biggest marvels of the film is the the puppet or the the puppets oh, yeah, that represent the Audrey too, and to to get the puppet moving fast enough, they um, are you aware of the the clever trick they used? Yes, I think so. So they did it all. They did it all sort of as it would be slowed down and then sped it up in post production. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So I th- I think it's um, didn't know that. Is it under cranking the camera? Yeah, I think they undercranked the camera, so shot at something like twelve frames a second. So the yes. the so when the 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 very big Audrey two is moving, it's moving at half speed, and Rick Moranis and uh, Ellen Green have to walk and act, mouthing along to their own lines at half uh, at half speed. So um, and then once sped up, and I I am shocked that that isn't obvious. Like I can't believe that you can you can, if you take your eye off the plant and look at Rick Moranis. It's very hard to tell that there's anything going on. Mm-hmm. It's I, I so have well known that if you yeah. hadn't told, because I think that's yeah. a trick they used to use in things like silent movies, wasn't it? Yes, changing like, the it was much easier to do when you weren't using sync sound. Yeah, uh, mm. I've heard, and I don't know if this is true, but I've heard that they used the same technique in Alien, which was being shot in Pinewood at the same time. So I've heard, mm, or perhaps one of the yeah, uh, perhaps, I've heard. Don't know if this is true that Rick Moranis and. Um, uh, well, what's her name? The main Ellen, character in Sigourney Alien. Sigourney Weaver. Oh, Sigourney Weaver. Oh, and Sigourney Weaver uh, rehearsed walking, basically doing slow-mo acting together. Um, oh, really? And, and they would have done Ghostbusters at this point as well, wouldn't they? Of course they would have. Yeah. yeah. Really? Sure together, so. so whether that's true or not, I don't know. <laughs> I but, hope it um, is. <laughs> I hope yeah, that's a great in, bit. It's a good in story. Costume, in costume as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ripley and Seymour together at last. <laughs> But yeah, like you said, the the puppetry in this. I mean, obviously, it's the it's the Henson Company, isn't it? Um, mm. And it's it almost became so successful that you stop appreciating how good it is. But it should never Absolutely. be understood like how yeah. good, how difficult the puppetry is in in things like this because they go, like you say, from a little tiny puppet to a puppet that's the size of half of a room and all that sort mm. of stuff. And it must be it must be so so difficult. I mean, I've got friends who've done who've done puppetry and stuff uh, who I've met over the years and stuff and. They they say how difficult it is, and I, and it it looks so tough. 
um, mm. to make. It I find it. I, I I'm a big fan of animation and puppetry, and it's the it's the lip movement that mm. I, I can't do it without making plosive sounds on my mic. <laughs> the P's and the M's and the B's. Like mm. everybody understands that when a puppet talks, the lips aren't going to make P's and M's and B's. You can't have that from puppets. No. Apparently, you can. Like the the because it because it's a it's a musical and he's and he's singing and, and so so the lips are properly forming the shapes of the words and you really see the lips pop on on plosives and it's like I just don't know how they do it and you, but you're absolutely right it looks weightless it looks or mm. rather it looks like it has the weight of a giant plant but it looks effortless oh, yeah, it looks absolutely. like a creature living and moving most and, of and, the time and, and something else as well I noticed I don't think it's aged. I think because, Not at all. because of the way the puppetry is done, it contributes to the overall look of the film. So mm-hmm. as a result of that, it doesn't look like it's aged. It all looks like it's supposed to look a little bit like something like Labyrinth or other other Muppets films. It do, it looks like this is this is how it's supposed to look. It hasn't aged. Whereas you know you know if they made it now, Audrey would be CGI. Yes, exactly. I'm a huge enthusiast for CGI, and I don't like it when people are like, "Oh, it has to be practical, or it has to be puppets." I don't think one of them oh, is no, better than the other. Both have got their applications. Absolutely, um, but uh, there's just it's just flawless in mm. in this film. It's hard to imagine what what CGI would allow you to do that they didn't somehow find a way of doing uh, in this film. The only thing that you could do better would be the the uh, the green the blue screen green screen shots. Yeah, because yeah. obviously they're done optically. Uh, and those have dated. Apart from that, there's just a shock, a, a shocking amount of essentially trick shots in the film, um, all of which look stunning. They do, they do. Um, what about anything else, Alice? Anything else you liked about it that we want to get into this section? They, they were the main things, really, the real standout things. Like the 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 puppetry really did sort of blow me away, and I think more so than I was expecting because I think so much of what they did do, they could have just easily not done it. Like how, like the skills of you know. Uh, singing your lyrics in sort of half speed and stuff and then putting all that effort into doing that. They could have just not done that and it, yeah. everything just be like really basic, but they did do it. And it does mean that it hasn't aged too badly at all. And I do think I do think in this instance, because of how far CGI's come since then, you would have lost a lot. Like if that was a CGI plan, like 1980s CGI, I think <laughs> it just wouldn't quite be as engaging and captivating as it is now. I think, what was it? Was it Jurassic Park that we've spoken about before? Like, we're obviously because they're using like puppets and models and stuff. Like, that still stands up today. Like, when you're watching it, and I think it's the same in this. And the, it just means that the overall effect, I think, is so much more impactful. Yeah, and it's and it's like it's like Alistair said. There is there is a time for CGI and there's a time for puppetry. But I just think the puppetry in this it just works so well to the overall mm. feel of the film. And I think it'd be a real shame if they did. I mean, they're not going to do that because, as far as I know, they're not. But but I you think know, I heard that they were planning to. Uh, but um, ah, um, interesting. Um, yeah, well, we'll see. Oops. Uh, I, I think I was watching it and I thought, uh, you know, like I know we don't flick over between channels these days anymore mm-hmm. because we we stream things. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's hard to imagine a scene you could flick over into without thinking, "What the hell is this? <laughs> this is this is weird and incredibly beautiful." Like every film is a sort of every scene is a technicolor spectacle yeah. full of something really blooming strange but you'd be like what's what's that what you know even if you weren't looking at the plant the outfits the cast all look fantastic you 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 know the fact that it's all got a, a, a an exaggerated sense of unreality because it's all on this uh, sort of hyper real set so it doesn't you know it never it, it never for a moment steps outside of that into into the real world it keeps us contained in this strange place 
Um, does, you'd just does. be like, what is this? I need to know. <laughs> it, I know what you mean. It is one of those films where you go, you flick over. It's be one of those films where you think, I can't flick away until I know what's going on. Yeah, yeah, I need to know what this film's about. <laughs> oh, a giant man-eating plant. What? <laughs> Plus one. Well done. Well done. You did it. You've made a great film. It's, it's, it's one of those, it's, it's the most Tim Burton film that Tim Burton wasn't involved in. You know, I was going to say, I'm not uh, I'm not as much of a fan as, of Tim Burton's work as I used to be, mm. but um, I did the thing that I'm just describing of flicking over with um, with Edward Scissorhands uh, as a kid, and I did it with mm. uh, Tim, Tim, Terry Gilliam's Brazil. Yes, and, that's And this, this, obviously, I had seen this film already, had it on VHS, but th- those films, I think, uh, are films that if I flicked over to them, I would immediately go, ooh, this, is, this speaks to me. There's something in these mm. films that really appeals to me. So you're a fan of a, that sort of colourfully gothic, very... Yes, um, I am. ...very visual, sort of sensory experience type of film. Absolutely. And, and yeah. yeah, the fact that it's uh, it's like a living cartoon. Yeah, well, that's a, that's, 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 yeah, a, that's yeah, a perfect definitely. way of putting it. Uh, so we'll move on then to talking about things that we perhaps didn't like about Little Shop of Horrors or that we'd change about it. Now, we'll come to you first, Alistair. Uh, don't think you're going to have loads, but is there anything you'd change about it? Well, I uh, I, th- I think it suffers from the the the, the having to change the ending. Um, so I don't think either of the endings are completely satisfying now as a consequence of that, because once you've shot Audrey being eaten by a plant, it's very hard to pull her out of it and have us plausibly believe that she's just fine which is what happens in the theatrical release um, for, for obvious reasons, because in the, in the original version, she's not fine. But in a weird way, the, I, I, I have a great deal of sadness about the film because like this, you know, like uh, Howard Ashman, um, his, his career is tragically cut short by AIDS uh, a few ah, right. years after this. I actually didn't know that. Yeah, so so they did uh, Beauty and the Beast and um, and Little Mermaid, and he I think suggested the idea of doing Aladdin, and they'd begun to work uh, on Aladdin, but he died during the production of Aladdin. Um, at about the ninety two, uh, then wouldn't it about five years after this? Yeah, so uh, in a and, and obviously, while those those Disney films, I think are the, some of the best films Disney made because I'm not a huge fan of what they made while Walt Disney was alive, mm-hmm. um, but. It's sad to me that they, they they never returned to this area. I think because their previous musical, which I have never seen, was an adaptation of "God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater," the Kurt Vonnegut book, mm. which is um, I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's in a similar area in that it's a very bleak black comedy uh, about a, a very rich man who has undergoes some kind of psychotic episode and decides to try and help people, mm. uh, but finds that he's not able to help people. Um, there's a f- quite famous quote that does the rounds, which is some th- where he's giving advice to babies wh- as they arrive on planet Earth, it's like, uh, which is, I'm paraphrasing, something like, welcome to planet Earth, babies. There's only one rule that I know of. God damn it, you got to be kind, which mm. occasionally you'll see in meme form. <laughs> um, <laughs> as if Kurt Vonnegut just said that himself rather than wrote it as a character in a book. <laughs> I know what's going to happen to this quote. It's going to be posted on Facebook. I saw one which was George Orwell, <laughs> and the quote was, um, I hate goodness, I hate truth. And it's like, yeah, that wasn't a thing George Orwell said. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing yeah, a character yeah. says in his book. <laughs> it's not like, oh, yeah, George, I hate goodness, Orwell. Yeah, he hated it. It's like going to Spielberg and being like, so, pretty fond of those uh, Nazis, aren't you? It's bizarre. Um, so... Um, <laughs> Uh, sorry, I've moved on from the, the tragic death of a, a, 
of Howard Ashman to um, a completely different subject. But for, for me, I, there, I watched the film with some frustration because um, it's it's so well realized. But I feel like there's still more. I feel like I the like there could have been more. It is short, more as well, like isn't this. it? Like for for a musical, if you think a stage musical, probably normally clock in at least two and a half, two hours yeah. with, with you an, need an intermission and, for most of them, don't you? Yeah. This is a solid 90 minutes. So like you say, although it was 10 minutes longer that. with all those plants smashing through walls, yeah. if you watch that's, the extended version. That's, that's when you go to, that's, that's when it's, you go to the toilet and get a drink. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, what about you, Alice? Is there anything you particularly didn't like? I know you sort of touched on it a little bit there. You might have a few bits. So, so yeah, so there's a couple of things, but I think a lot of what Al said, I think has sort of informed this. And I think maybe I know how to absorb it, but basically emotionally, I didn't know what to do with the domestic abuse storyline. Right. So like the way Audrey describes Orin is like, he is such a monster and that she is really struggling with him. And they paint on this really weird, like cartoony black eye. And then when you meet Orin, he's really entertaining and is a real joy to watch. Mm. So I was just a bit like, oh, and it's weird to have that whole thing as a narrative thread when so so much of it is just like wacky and fun. And it's not just that he's a bad boyfriend. Like he is, he's awful. Like he mm. is fully abusing her. Like he's a really, comes across as a real, like nasty he, piece um, of work. Is he a bit too charming then? I mean, he's just funny, isn't he? Like Steve Martin mm. comes on and he's like, oh, I've got his slick back hair and his motorbike and stuff. And he has the best song. Mm. And I was like, oh, this guy. He's like, oh, he's not so bad after all. Sort of thing. You're a bit so like Audrey, bit he's like, not too bad. Yeah, it's like, it's like, have you heard him sing? Oh, he's, a, he's belting this one. So I was just a bit like, I didn't know, I didn't know what to do with that. Like emotionally, I was like, but I think from what you've said is that, because it is a parody of, of, of these things of like of consumerism and possibly the way that we view, I don't know, society and potentially women and stuff. I don't know, but that that sort of makes me, maybe I was just looking at it a bit too deep. I don't know, but it just no. left me a bit sort of like, Ugh. it's, I think it is uncomfortable, uh, but I think the film uh, is inviting us to be uncomfortable with, mm. uh, with a lot of things. You're absolutely right. That, and, and it's probably troubling or for want of a better word, problematic mm. that, that Steve Martin is so likable as a, as someone to watch while also being uh, an appallingly violent, uh, abusive boyfriend character. So I'm not trying to play that down. Um, I think that in terms of the the sort of the, the darkness of the humour, even the the original film from 1960 has has two has two cop characters who speak in sort of dragnet deadpan with each other who have a series of sort of dark jokes at the starts of scenes um so we'll say how's the wife fine kids fine and then in the next scene it's uh, something like and i'm going from memory i haven't seen it for about 10 years how's the wife fine kids dead how playing with matches well those are the breaks and then they just carry on mm. which is which is kind of a dark which is a kind of dark joke treated in a throwaway yeah it's quite manner. like sort of like quite samuel beckett isn't it that it's quite like dark presenting you with the darkest possible uh outcome but it's like <laughs> yeah what like that's mm. like sort of what you do isn't it i think that's it but i think perhaps you're right that, um perhaps the fact that i i, I think as a piece of satire it's uh, I, I started by saying i think it's a joke it's a cruel joke on her character um mm. i think i think the film does sympathize with her but it but it um i i it invites us to like you say be um to to laugh at her you know like there's the mm. I, I, I met him in the gutter the what? The gutter. It's a night spot. 
I'd put on cheap, tasteless outfits, not nice ones like this. And of course, we laugh because what she's actually wearing is cheap and tasteless as well. Mm. So it's it's just a series of jokes like that. But I think the reason it um, what 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 raises it above a sort of uh, uh, I, I don't know a Brechtian kind of. Uh, uh, agitprop didactic thing saying these characters are representative of these things is the is Ellen Green's performance in the role in completely embodying the character and, and making the character completely believable even though everything is over the top and like you know every, everybody's style of performance is uh, is highly you know sort of dialed up to 11 uh, I, I say that as a tribute to Christopher Guest because he's, <laughs> he's, he's dialed up to 11 certainly um but I think from the character's point of view, when when Seymour and Audrey sing that they really want to get out of Skid Row, I don't think that's a joke. I think it's completely, uh, they completely commit to it and I think it's completely believable. So I think the, that's what makes it work for me. It just straddles so many different genres, doesn't it? Mm. And it's like, like, and the way you just said it there, I think you just articulated it so well. It's kind of like these real sincere, like these sincere moments that these characters are having whilst this just kind of wacky chaos is going yes. on around them. And <laughs> it could have so easily just just all been so silly or it, it like you could have come away just not feeling anything. But it's really clever how they managed to get you, they just managed to get you by pre presenting you with these different genres. And I just feel like it could have gone so wrong, but it didn't go wrong and it works really well. And it's quite it's quite unique in that sense, I think. I think you're right that it, it shouldn't work, and maybe some people would argue that it doesn't work. But I think it does. Just uh, uh, and what's what's impressive about it is that every, everything comes together so well because lots of very different things, like you say, sort of comedy and pathos, sci-fi, uh, uh, puppetry, parody, and satire come together and somehow don't completely drown each other out. Mm. Maybe it's one of those things. It's like it's just just about crazy enough to work. That's, that sort <laughs> that's, of thing. that's it. Yes, that's yeah. sort of thing, isn't it? But the other thing is that what's what's strange about it is I think I I think it's it's a it's a weird uh, a tender romance wrapped in a caustic satire uh, wrapped in a musical delivered with uh, an all star eighties cast and an incredible budget. So why well, no? That doesn't make any. It doesn't make any sense that any of these things should have happened. It's like you got John Candy in this. How can you possibly? Yeah. How can anyone afford to make this film? <laughs> um, okay, then let's move on to talking about the critical reception. Then, and then we'll see if we can decide if it is or mm. isn't underrated. Uh, Alice, do you know me? Alice. You, yes, <laughs> yes. How how do you think it did critically? Well, I would have I would have thought that it did pretty well. Mm. I I feel like it probably did well, but Alistair reckons it's a bit underrated. So that's interesting. But you seem to really, really like it. So is it a case of like, <laughs> oh, it got less than a hundred percent, therefore it's underrated? Yeah. Or Maybe, maybe it just didn't hit with the critics. Like maybe, maybe they just weren't into it for whatever reason. I feel like for me, this is an like easy seven, like probably a high seven, probably actually into the eights because, because of the puppetry, because of the puppet masters, just brilliant. Um, what do I think it got? I reckon, I reckon I'll go with the low seven 
because I think mm -hmm. I would be able to understand, because if it gets a low seven, I would be able to agree that it is underrated. Mm. And I just can't see how it could possibly get any lower than that, because I know that I've had a go at the critics before, but <laughs> there's just no way, right? Because technically it is, it's almost a masterpiece, right? Mm. Um, mm. So yeah, I'll, probably go, I'll go 7.2 just to be precise. Uh, do you know how it did, Alistair? Do you know? Do you I have don't know. I, did, I, 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 I clearly did some research, but I didn't. <laughs> I, I, I don't care what those pen pushers uh, on, on Fleet Street think. Um, no, I, I, I don't know. I, yeah, I'm feeling bad now because I said it was underrated because, yes, Alistair's absolutely right. It's because I think it's a masterpiece we should be talking about all the time. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it gets boxed away as a kooky comedy or mm. a, a, a wacky musical. So I think... I think by musical standards, I don't think it's taken that seriously because it's a comedy, and by comedy standards, it's, it's or, or in terms of satire or science fiction or whatever, it's it's a musical. So it, it, I I think it's sort of decategorized and therefore I think it's not a, taken I think that's so a good, seriously. It's, it's a good way of putting it. It's like point. not accepted by either camp, so it's sort of in limbo yeah. a little bit. So where think, would you where would you go look for it in HMV? Like, what category <laughs> would it be under? Like, that's that's the thing, isn't it? I would it? just have it's a shelf just... for, that says best. And it would yeah, just be that and, and it's just that. Like on it. Top just ten. That. <laughs> Al yeah. Alistair's top ten. There yeah. it is. There it is. Um, Saves you time. <laughs> so, right, at the time of recording, then let's have a look. At the time of recording on IMDB, I'm interested to see your reaction to this. It gets 7.1. Oh, that was very, very close. It is. Uh, you have clearly been doing this podcast too long. <laughs> I'm very, very good with my kids. I get that. I am within good at this. Point one <laughs> of accuracy. That's incredible. However, over on Rotten uh -huh. Tomatoes, the audience are a little bit more generous. They give it 79%. Mm -hmm. And the critics, the critics, the critics, the critics, give it 90%. Yes! <laughs> this, is, this is my thing, because uh, uh, whenever I want to watch a horror film, I immediately go to Rotten Tomatoes. Mm. And if the critic score is high, but the audience score is low, I know I'm going to have a good time. Because <laughs> it's the same with science fiction. If the audience were like, oh, it wasn't even scary. I'm like, yes, please. Critically acclaimed, <laughs> not that scary. Give it to me. Uh, I love it when... Uh, I, I retract what I said about those pen pushers at Fleet Street. Some of them are actually <laughs> quite perceptive. Uh, whereas the hoi polloi... Don't necessarily appreciate the man on the street. He, he, <laughs> he doesn't know. No, <laughs> the, the that. dullard on the clapper omnibus <laughs> does not appreciate cinema like me. <laughs> so, if we average those out, it's about mm. eight out of ten or eighty oh, percent. That's pretty good. That is pretty good. Okay, it is pretty good. Mm. So, what what do we say, Alice? I'll come to you first. Mm -hmm. Eighty percent underrated, appropriately I... rated. I would say that's probably appropriate. I think that's probably appropriately rated for me. I think mm. a good, a nice, a nice little eight there. I do think there's so there's so much to it that is just so good, and I think mm. you can really see and feel the amount of work that's gone into it. And watching it again now as an adult, you can really, really appreciate that. So it's definitely one to revisit as well. Like, so if anyone's out there that saw it when they were younger definitely go back and watch it now because I think it just has so much more to offer. But I, yeah, I would say that is appropriately rated for me, I reckon. Okay, okay. What about you, Alistair? No, it should be 10. It should be 10 because <laughs> yeah, it's the best. <laughs> so it's a little bit underrated. Yeah. I, I mean, I have to say that just to maintain the the pretext that it's <laughs> no, underrated I mean, I mean, and therefore it just I was justified in bringing it on the podcast. So looking at it, right, 
it's it's not critically underrated because ninety percent is is good. But I yeah. think I think that seven point one is it's standing out to me. That it's dragging that score down. So I I think yeah. it's probably I'm gonna cast the, the the casting vote here. I'm gonna say it's slightly underrated. Slightly yeah. underrated. I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take slightly it. Under- I reckon. And, and I, Sorry, Josh. Sorry, I and, 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 as sorry well. Alice. <laughs> go on. <laughs> go on. Go no, on. you go. Go on. You I go. Was, I was you first. No, uh, you I go. would. I would say um, it's also probably a little bit underseen as well because I'm not sure how many people are sort of sitting down now and, w- and watching this with their kids. Or watch this in general. I'm not sure that they should be because there's no. an awful lot of nitrous oxide abuse. In <laughs> yeah, it. Sure, yeah. I'm oh, yeah. frankly shocked that I yeah. was allowed to watch this. Yeah. Yeah. You'll be a dentist. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say slightly underrated. What say you, Alice? Well, no, I still, I still think I'm, 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 I'm ha- more than happy for this to go in the underrated pile. This is not mm. like I'm gonna, you know, stand here and and <laughs> kind of defend my stance on it because I can totally see it but I reckon it's definitely a bit underappreciated and I also reckon that I and this isn't this isn't me bringing up my film snobbery or whatever but I do <laughs> reckon there's probably a massive chunk of the audience that just didn't get it and I think maybe didn't absorb it in the way that it was meant to be absorbed but I'm included in that as well like I feel like the way that Alistair has spoken about it now I feel like my appreciation for it is richer having heard uh, your analysis and having heard what you've got to say about it. And I do think it's definitely worth a rewatch as well. And I think people should definitely go back and watch it because there's just so much to it, I think. I've, I'm flattered and uh, I offer my services to stand in front of things people don't like and explain why actually they're very good and about capitalism. So um, maybe try and enjoy them on as many levels as I do, actually. Well, there we go. Another one into the underrated vault, just about. But I think, uh, like Alice said, we get the guests on, and they're all. It's always a highlight chatting to people, especially because they often bring to your attention things you don't know about a film that you're talking about, mm-hmm. and that's definitely what's happened on this occasion. I mean, I, I think we could put this podcast next to the film as like a director's commentary with the way you were talking about Alice. <laughs> <laughs> very passionate. That's um, what we like. But anyway, thank you very much for coming on. Um, thank you for having me. Well, thank you very much. Where, 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 where do the guys at home look out for your stuff? What have you got going on? Well, um, I'm on YouTube, and um, for as long as Twitter exists, I'm on Twitter, uh, <laughs> putting out uh, little jokes and videos now and again, and sometimes opinions. Mm. Uh, not as many as in this podcast, though, so don't <laughs> worry. Uh, I'm a stand-up comedian, and I'm going on tour next year. Um, so if you search for the interdimensional ABK, that should uh, come up. I'm going, it's a small York UK tour, but if you're small and in the UK, you could probably come to it. And um, I've written a, a whodunit, um, a murder mystery book for kids called Montgomery Bonbon Murder in the Museum, and that'll be out in February. So it is, it is, it is too late for a last minute Christmas gift because it'll be February. But um, you know, maybe next year. What what sort of age range are we looking at then for the for the? It's 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 called middle grade, which sounds like a review of the book, like "Eh, middle grade. (laughs) But um, it it, it means I think about nine to twelve. Great, Mm -hmm. right, right, excellent. Well, something like that. Obviously, when this comes out, we'll put links to everything out there. And uh, where do people find you on social media? Just search for your name. Yeah, there's not that many Alistairs. Um, <laughs> certainly not of the Beckett King variety, but um, Mr. ABK, M-I-S-T-E-R-A-B-K on Twitter. Fantastic. Thank you. Well, Alistair, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, there we go. Another guest episode done and another underrated film sliding mm. into the vaults. Getting crowded in there now. 
Oh, it, it is. is. It's very full. It's it very is. full. We've got it the is. backup but, vault um, ready, ready to go. Yes, either watch Little Shop of Horrors because you want a lovely little musical like a talking plant or because you want an allegory on the capitalism and the American dream. Either oh, way. So many layers, man. Layers. So many layers to that film that I just didn't see before. So thank you, Alistair, so much for that. An enriching experience, I think. What a, what a fantastic guest. Thank you very much to Alistair for coming on. Obviously, when this comes out, we'll make sure we put links uh, to everything, all of his stuff and, and all that jazz. Um, anyway, next week, Alice, we've got our Christmas special. <gasps> Have you ever put like a demo tape together and sent it out? Oh, to... have you heard it? Have you heard to... it? Yes, <laughs> yes, of course I have. Yes. Uh, we will be back next week with a Christmas special with another brilliant guest. We're yeah. going to tell you who it is, though. You've got to keep an eye out on the on the social media. So do the make mystery sure you keep continues. Eye out. It is, but all I can say is it's a belting episode and mm. it's with a fantastic guest. Uh, in the meantime, if you'd like to get in touch with us, it's filmswiththatpod at gmail.com. We're on all the social medias uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Search for just films and that check us out. Also, we're on Patreon now as well. So Oi. if you want to. Take a look over there uh, at Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash just films and that. Couple of tiers on there. A uh, little bit of extra bonus content. Uh, bonus content, should I say, and a few other bits as well. Get get having a look. I think there's a few things that are worth uh, worth your money. Um, and uh, yeah, we always love to hear from you. And I tell you what else, we're also on the television, aren't we, Alice? We are indeed. We are on the local TV network every Friday from 6pm. So if you live in Birmingham, Bristol, Liverpool, Leeds or the northeast of England, you can find us on Channel 7 on Freeview. Or if you live in North Wales or South Wales, you can find us on Channel 8 on Freeview. Or we're on Channel 188 on Sky. And that is all across the country. That is every Friday evening from 6pm. Me and Josh talking about all our favourite underrated and underseen films. Yes, thank you very much for listening to this episode. Like Alice said, lots of ways to listen to us. All the stuff you should need is also in the episode uh, link for this. So scroll down and check that out. And we'll be back next week for our Christmas special. Um, it's goodbye from me. Cheerio. Bye. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage of the French Open begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.